Hello, it's Gabby with you. I hope this finds you well today. Welcome to another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. My Possible Self is the mental health and wellness app designed with you in mind. We use interactive tools and techniques using cognitive behavioral therapy, customized for digital use. If you're listening to us right now on the app, you know all this already. But if you are listening to this podcast via one of the major podcast platforms, then heads up, currently the app and all of its content is still free to download and enjoy. So just search My Possible Self in your app store and we will appear. It's coming up to two years since the first known case of the coronavirus was identified in Wuhan, China. Since then, the disease has spread worldwide, leading to an ongoing pandemic. Symptoms of COVID-19 are variable, but can often include a fever, cough, headache, fatigue, breathing difficulties and loss of smell and taste. Although at least a third of people who are infected do not develop noticeable symptoms. If contracted, elderly people and those with underlying health conditions are more at risk to serious health complications, including losing their life. It's an unpredictable virus which makes it all the more challenging to treat, with some who continue to experience a range of highly unpleasant effects in what has now been deemed long COVID. And as the coronavirus continues to sweep across the globe, when zooming out, we can say a lot may have escaped becoming physically unwell. Although there are few of us that have escaped the adverse effects it has had on our mental health. The suffering has been great. Strict lockdowns, school closures, loss of employment, and worst of all, lives have been lost. We've endured months and months of feeling worry, loneliness, frustration, fear, and despair. And although we're not completely out of the woods yet, there is light at the end of the tunnel, assures today's guest. He's a familiar face on Breakfast TV in the UK, who over the next half an hour will share some incredible advice on how we navigate through this challenging time, bringing some wonderful words of comfort that anyone listening will benefit from. Dr. Hilary Jones, thank you for taking time to chat to me today. Hello, Gabby. You are many things, GP, author, TV medic, resident health expert on Good Morning Britain and Lorraine. But I think my favourite title for you so far has to be the UK's Pandemic Pin-Up. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have got to thank Piers Morgan for that little sarcasm. Did he coin that phrase? <laughs> he did, he did. Typical news editor. <laughs> thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about, you know, something that you love talking about, which is COVID-19. You're not at all sick of it, as as are <laughs> none of us, right? <laughs> right. In all seriousness, what's it been like for you being at the forefront? I mean, talk about in the trenches, like from the get-go. Can you remember the first time that you were brought onto national TV to talk about this strange virus? Yes, it was It was when we heard um, 
news coming out of China that, that another strange virus had emerged, similar to initially similar to SARS and to MERS, which we'd heard about in the past, but was really confined to Asia uh, in years gone by. And then suddenly um, we were seeing um, patients in Italy, northern Italy, being nursed on their fronts, very sick indeed, and, and a large influx of, of, of admissions to hospital. And then the first two cases arriving on the south coast of England. Um, and I knew then that, that we were dealing with um, a pandemic. It was, it was in too many patients in too many countries not to be a pandemic. And I think I was, if not the first person to use that word, certainly one of the first. And that would have been right at the start of 2020. And, you know, thereafter, I was on TV every day, five days a week, talking about the story as it evolved and uh, as new data emerged. And uh, it was a fascinating um, and interesting time in my career because it was the biggest public health issue for maybe 100 years. I just wish it hadn't taken a pandemic to make me as busy as I was on TV. Right. Um, nevertheless, it was a challenge. And, and and in terms of, I mean, for me personally, there was an, an element of almost disbelief. I was kind of felt like I was in a dream. I was like sleepwalking through life for a while and just and then seeing people in masks look so like look like we were in some kind of weird apocalyptic movie. Do you think it took a while for people to accept the seriousness of it from from when you first started talking about it and calling it a pandemic very much so um it it it, it was an interesting contrast um to see how people um reacted um there were those who just couldn't believe it and as you say were walking around as if it was a dream of some kind a bad dream um, for some people, a nightmare. When we saw those images of very sick patients uh, in intensive care, there was a general fear um, that this was very nasty and very contagious and potentially lethal. So people at the outset did um, self-isolate and lock themselves away and take precautions there were a few people who wanted to deny it was happening, wanted to carry on as normal, um, the conspiracy theorists and the COVID deniers. And of course, they still exist. Um, there are some people who just don't want to acknowledge that, you know, the world is facing a, a very nasty virus, which is novel and dangerous. But even those people who were very fearful at the beginning have, I think, come to terms with living with it they they most of them have been double vaccinated they're beginning to feel more confident about life getting back to near normality and yet we're still seeing lots of cases so right across the board there are people who are anxious people who are depressed because life isn't normal yet um, it's affected their finances their social life their holidays and they're worried about the future they're worried about their own health their family's health they're worried about other things that they'd like to see the doctor about but can't get appointments for and they don't know how long it's going to last and uncertainty and fear about one's health are two major drivers to anxiety and depression it's something we need to be very aware of in terms of um general general mental health 
so how would you advise somebody that is experiencing, like you say, anxiety and depression still? Uh, are there things that we can do? Because it's still really hard to actually get an appointment with a GP, isn't it? I mean, most of them, it's still a telephone call. And then it's always, I mean, it's hard to diagnose somebody that's got mental health issues because you can't, I mean, you tell me, but because you can't see. I remember one doctor saying to me once, I can tell how depressed somebody is more when I sit next to them and it's how they make me feel. They don't even need to, to speak. It's a feeling yeah. that I get. And so that's taken away. So in in terms of like looking after ourselves. Yeah. Um, You're right. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, I would always encourage people to reach out for help if they're feeling um, that uh, their mood is is not as it normally is for them and it's persistent particularly if it's a low mood or if anxiety is affecting sleep and if these things are affecting relationships um gps are under the cosh at the moment in terms of making their premises covid secure um they need to make sure that the rooms are cleaned thoroughly and that a minimum throughput of patients um, comes through the surgery and when I say a minimum, everybody who needs to be seen should be seen. Um, but online consultations, if they're offered, should certainly be taken up because it's a form of triage. If a doctor talks to you online and says, no, that does sound significant. I need to see you in the surgery. They can make an appointment there and then for a physical examination uh, and a face-to-face -face consult. You're absolutely right that, that people with um, anxiety or depression um, are always best um, seeing the patient, seeing the doctor face to face, because the doctor can pick up on non-verbal cues. Mm, and sometimes it's hard to verbalise. Yeah, it's not just what the patient says or doesn't say. It's their body language. You know, if they're chewing their nails, if they're um, uh, tapping their feet, balling their fists, if their shoulders are hunched up, they're tense, they're nervous. Um, and the things they say and, and the way they, their, their facial expressions, these are things that you might not pick up on an online consultation. So I think um, whilst people who are feeling down might feel guilty about wasting their doctor's time, they're really not wasting their doctor's time. That's what doctors are there for. And it's good to be quite assertive and say, I do need to come and see you. And if necessary, um, recruit the help of a uh, a relative, um, a partner, or um, a trusted friend, so that 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 friend can make sure that you get the appointment that you need. So, are, are quite a few doctors doing um, like video appointments? Because where I am in the in the northwest, for me and and my family, and they've got we've got different doctors and, and um, practices that we use. It's all telephone calls. There are some things that a telephone call it just can't possibly deal with. If if someone says I've got a breast lump, someone says you know a man says um, I'm I'm peeing blood, you know that those patients have to be examined. They must be examined. Um, and despite COVID, there is no excuse for not opening up those surgeries. Um, those are priorities. Uh, and I'm not sure what the resistance is about opening up a surgery. Um, you know we can do this. If if doctors can't see patients when they're sick. What are they there for? So I feel quite strongly that more face-to-face -face appointments need to be given. Mm. And do you think, like, 
I, I sometimes think that the gatekeepers, the, the person who answers the phone call, the receptionist, it's, sometimes it's hard to, you've almost got to convince them to even yeah. get a note sent to your doctor and then you get a phone call from your doctor. And I think in terms of when we're talking about, you know, mental health and, and COVID, and this is something that's happened because of COVID, we can't go in, in right now. If you've got any advice for like how how we kind of insist on on mm. getting that medical help, because I I yeah. know from my own personal experience and from friends' personal experience as well, especially with mental health, that that's been really challenging. Yeah. Um, so uh, the doctor's reception. We talk about having to get past the doctor's receptionist, the battle axe, mm -hmm. um, and it's a little unfair to receptionists because they have a really hard job. Um, it, it's, it's a very lowly paid job. It's a responsible job. And at the end of the day, receptionists deal with patients the way that they're instructed to do by the doctors. So again, they're a form of triage. They need to determine whether the patient needs to be seen. Um, it's not their role to ask what the problem is. That is confidential and the patient doesn't have to say so i think when you get through to the receptionist and i wish there were more telephone lines for people to get through quicker um i think the approach is um i need to see a doctor uh, i i have a problem which is um pressing and urgent and which won't go away um and i'm extremely concerned uh, about my um my health um, and I would like that. I would like an appointment. And I, and I think, you know, don't be fobbed off. Um, I, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, um, when the last time you saw the doctor or you don't make these calls lightly, um, I think be polite is that's important. Um, and, and also remember that the receptionist has a difficult job taking hundreds of calls a day. So I think be assertive, be persistent, explain be patient and usually um, the receptionist will be able to help you great advice and i just want to flip that as well because i know that you've been a real champion um for the past almost two years with with nhs and nhs workers and i noticed myself as you can see i broke my wrist Ouch. <laughs> and um yeah yeah i won't get on a quad bike again in a hurry um <laughs> but there in in my nearest hospital i noticed when I have been going in quite frequently now, there's posters saying, please be polite to staff. And it's it's always that kind of reminder of don't get angry, don't get angry, don't get angry. And and yeah, you've just been really supportive of our NHS carers um, throughout all of this. But I also understand people are getting frustrated, but perhaps you see a lot more than we, the Joe public, do in terms of like what the NHS are actually put through in terms of like trying to take care of everybody. And in terms of helping their mental health, what should we do or not do? Yeah, it's it's um, it, it's it's difficult on the receiving end. I mean, patients can, when they're worried about their health or uh, about anything in their life um, that, that impinge on the, the way the quality of life is, um, they can become angry, frustrated, um, and, and it's always counterproductive to take out that anger on the people that are there to care for you. Um, you know, you might imagine that they're a barrier to getting help, 
Um, and certainly healthcare professionals are accustomed to, to people being angry and frustrated, short-tempered, rude. Um, and, you know, we understand that that is part of human emotions. However, you know, it's important to try and keep things calm, keep things rational, open up the channels of communication, try and understand the other person's viewpoint, put yourself in their shoes. Um, and usually when people adopt this rational approach, this, this caring approach, you know, uh, some sort of agreement can be made and things can be resolved. But whenever emotions get too heated, usually it's counterproductive and, and, and fighting and, and, uh, and becoming aggressive um, does not help. I think it was yesterday that you were on Lorraine talking about 12 to 15 year olds can now get one jab. Yeah. I feel like young people have have really gone through the ringer and they're and children and they're a bit more resilient, but also the trauma that they've gone through in this pandemic, seeing people wearing masks, they must be getting whiplash from being pulled in and out of school, in and out of school. I think there's going to be some PTSD effects with our younger generation. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. I think it's that uncertainty. I mean, their, their exams have been disrupted. Their schooling has been disrupted. Their friendships have been disrupted. And they probably, if they've been off school, they probably see their parents are quite anxious about things, having to take time off work, worried about finances. There's a lot of uncertainty. And, and I always uh, try and encourage people in those circumstances to keep a, a sense of perspective on everything. Yes, there are these issues, but certainly human beings have faced worse, um, much, much worse um you know we've had pandemics before um we've never been in a better position to combat them um people behave differently in a pandemic but as individuals if we keep that sense of perspective if we remember the things that we still have and that we can be grateful for that that's a very positive thing um we have people we can talk to we have friends we have entertainment we've got some um, tv we've got radio we've got books we've got games um so many things that in the past people didn't have we've got food we've got sustenance we've got you know a bit roofs over our head this is not war we, we can get through this we'll get through it better if we pull together uh, if we're nice to one another we're kind to one another um i know that you know, out in the streets there, there's, there's a lot of frustration um, and uh, short tempers. But I think be grateful for what we do have. Remember all the things that on a daily basis that, that give us pleasure, that make us smile. Hang on to those things and, mm. you know, everything else will, will get through. But, you know, yeah. it's going to take time. It's a setback. But then on this planet, in this life, there's always been setbacks and we always get through them. We're, we're very social beings, aren't we? And that's been a real challenge, especially with three lockdowns. A few months ago, you were wary about easing off restrictions. How do you feel about that now? Well, it, it's it's as simple as this, really. Um, we're, we're currently seeing about 30,000 new cases of COVID every day at a time when 
businesses are opening up again, mass gatherings are occurring, nightclubs are open, schools are going back. Uh, so we're likely to see more cases. Currently, we're also seeing more hospitalizations. About 1,000 people were admitted to hospital yesterday, 1,009 to be precise. Um, and that's with an R rate with COVID of about one. Um, that means that 10 people will pass on the infection to 10 other people. So the infection neither grows nor diminishes. Um, if the R rate goes up to 1.5, um, so that 10 people give the infection to 15 other people, then hospitalizations are likely to increase to something like 6,000 a day. And this is despite vaccinations. So there's a large proportion of the population still not vaccinated and, and vulnerable to COVID. If hospitalizations go up to 6,000 a day, then everything else stops. Heart treatments, uh, treatments for cancer, it all comes grinding to a halt and the NHS is overwhelmed. So we still have to remember that, that it's not all over yet. We'd love it to be. We'd love to get back to work. We'd love to go on holiday. My goodness, who wouldn't? We're all fed up with COVID-19. But the reality is it's still a nasty infection sweeping the world, including the UK. And, and we have to make sure that the NHS can look after people with other conditions as well as COVID and, and be aware of that. And if it, may, if it means being a bit more patient and making some more sacrifices by simply washing our hands, wearing masks, um, ventilating, meeting outdoors when, when possible rather than indoors, and perhaps avoiding those those mass gatherings, then I think that's a, a cautious, sensible approach. Have you spoken to many people that have, are suffering from this long COVID? Because I know that's really affected their mental health, anxiety, depression, as you could imagine, being fatigued so much. And is there a light at the end of the tunnel there? I know it's it's all so new, isn't it? Well, yeah, long COVID is 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 very significant. It's it's a bit like a post-viral syndrome that we can see sometimes after glandular fever or other viruses. We can call it post-viral fatigue. We can call it ME. It's akin to all of those things. But for some people, it doesn't last more than two or three weeks. Other people, it can last two or three months or more because COVID is a multi-organ multi inflammatory disease, which can affect our whole bodies, including um, our nervous system and depression is a large part of, of long COVID for some people. So that feeling of exhaustion, of not being able to get a good um, refreshing night's sleep, that you have no energy, uh, no exercise tolerance, um, feelings of um, anxiety and low mood, not wanting to, you know, to talk to friends and, and, and family. You know, it's, it's, it can be a significant syndrome and because this is a relatively new syndrome. Um, we don't know how to best treat it, except that people need support. Um, and we treat it a bit like post-viral syndrome in any other scenario. So, you know, exercising within your, your tolerance levels, um, socialising when you feel up to it, eating healthily, avoiding things that are not good for your health, like smoking and too much alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, again, uh, looking forward week by week uh, and hoping for a gradual improvement, which we see in the vast majority of people. I know that you um, 
you recommend taking a holistic approach to your health. I've heard you speaking about how important things like lifestyle, exercise, etc. is. Mm. Um, just in terms of like general mental health, that's that's good for everybody, you know, COVID or no COVID, right? Mm. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I think we need to always remember that sometimes stress does not manifest itself, obviously. You know, a lot of people don't know when their stress levels are building up. Um, and, and it's quite a good idea to just sometimes sit and close your eyes and reflect on where you are, what, what, what your job entails, uh, how you're reacting to the people around you, you know, what's getting you down, what cheers you up, um, and concentrating on those things that make you feel positive. You know, if we're not sleeping, we should address that and find out, ask ourselves why that is the case because sleep deprivation is, is exhausting. I, I think it's worth asking us ourselves what, what makes us tense and stressed. You know, is it people around? Is it certain people? Is it certain places, certain circumstances? Can we avoid those circumstances and those people? Um, how do we deal with that? So coping strategies, if you like. A little bit of stress in our lives is a good thing. It gives us a challenge. Too little stress can be just as bad. But if the stress gets too much, we start to think about escapist behavior, like drinking too much or, or smoking, recreational drugs, um, unhealthy habits like these. And it's worth taking stock of all that and saying, well, you know, what could I do for myself today? Let, let's stop thinking about other people for a change. What can I do? Um, you know, can I take a walk at lunchtime? Can I go for a, a, you know, a, a, a trek through a forest or a walk along a beach? find time to do that because uh, we all tend to sort of work from morn till dusk and wonder why we feel tired mm. so i think a bit of fresh air a bit of exercise good food um good companionship these are all important mm. natural simple things yeah fresh air companionship free as well it's not like you've got you've not got the excuse of it's going to cost me <laughs> it's, sure. it's something that we we can all do what what works for you is writing one of those things because i know that you've written your debut novel which has just yeah. been released. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I started writing this, um, and it's dedicated to frontline staff, or frontline workers, wherever they are on the frontline, whether it's in the trench, in a war, or war zone, or in an ITU, hospital war zone, treating COVID, those, those guys are, uh, are heroes to me. Um, and I started writing the book as a kind of antidote to talking about COVID-19, every day of every week for 21 months i found it really really fast I, I really loved the process um, of being um imaginative and creative writing a dialogue inventing characters and how they might have behaved uh, back in the first world war so the novel starts in 1910 and takes us through the war um to uh, the armistice it's about two young people who who go to war, one is a stretcher bearer um, and uh, one is a nurse. They meet in a casualty clearing station and amongst all the horror of war, they fall in love um, and the, the romance um, continues throughout the book. And, I, and I, just, I just love writing it. So I was describing, you know, how they, you know, they go out um, sort of riding on a horse um, away from the battlefields knowing that they have to come back to the horror of war. Um, 
and there's a sort of quiet courage about them but there's also humor and innocence naivety and love and it's a story of optimism despite all the hardship going on around them so frontline is as you say my debut novel i hope people enjoy it people of all ages there's a lot of medical research i've put into that and it's based on a historic time frame which is accurate so um yeah and, mm. and many th- there's mental health themes in there as well i mean i don't know if you knew but shell shock um which we now call post traumatic uh, post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. was banned as a word by the military in 1916 they didn't no. want to acknowledge that you know um being exposed to warfare could uh, make people completely unwell and 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 mentally infirm even temporarily and thousands of them were um taken to court for desertion and 300 of them were shot and some of those would have would have just been suffering from post traumatic stress disorder um so that's a theme in the book which i wanted to explore and i hope i've made it sort of dramatic and emotional so it sounds like you like your history then yeah i never saw myself as a historian but but um i've always been historical in- romance yeah and and my fa- my grandfather was a soldier who fought the, in the Somme um in 1916 he was wounded three times and sent back to fight three times uh, on one occasion he got a bullet through the neck um, uh, you know potentially lethal injury from which he survived and he went back to France to to carry on fighting because they were short of men and I just tried to imagine what that must have been like um, to have already been injured three times and then to to be asked to sacrifice his life and put his life on the line again the, the the horrors that they must have gone through and we know that lots of men like my grandfather never discussed the war when it was over and when they came home just couldn't bring themselves to talk about it and they must have bottled up those emotions for the rest of their lives and and, and it would have it would have damaged their lives so so much so we've lived through this before and there are lessons to be learned yeah makes wearing a mask seem quite <laughs> insignificant doesn't it really absolutely yeah yeah absolutely yeah. to wrap things up and to end things on a positive note is there dr hillary a light at the end of this terrible tunnel yeah do we have some hope yes yes of course of course i mean what we need to remember is is that um we have a number of vaccines which are highly effective almost all of us have been vaccinated with a number of vaccines in our childhood which say keep us safe from horrible diseases like polio and diphtheria and whooping cough mumps measles and rubella um, meningitis um and we've quickly um uh designed a vaccine to treat coronavirus it's not perfectly effective but it's very very good at protecting against um serious disease and death and and we have to rejoice in that and and these, now we've got these vaccines we can tweak them in 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 years to come if there are other variants which emerge and and those um, booster shots will keep us much safer um and as people are more exposed either through vaccination or to covid-19 itself herd immunity will increase so larger and larger numbers of people around the world will have an immunity and will be less able to transmit the virus to other people so we will emerge from this in the future in this country we'll be much better off this time next year for sure 
around the, the world in poorer countries, it'll probably rage for a while longer. And that's why we still have to have good border control and give people advice about who should go into those countries, who should not come back from those countries um, to protect the rest of the population. But yeah, we'll get through this. I mean, we've got we've got an excellent NHS. We've got good treatments. We've got good vaccines. We've got great people in the NHS. And that's something we should be very grateful for. And I'm very grateful for talking to you today. Thank you, Dr. Hillary. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And you take care. Wise words from Dr. Hilary Jones. Just hang on in there. We will get through this. And so concludes another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you are listening to us on one of the podcast platforms, do leave us a review if you feel so inclined. But more importantly, make sure you subscribe so that you are the first to be notified when we drop a new episode, which is every Tuesday. If you don't already follow us on the gram and Twitter, we are at My Possible Self. Thanks again to Dr. Hilary Jones for taking time out of his busy schedule to chat to us. I've been Gabby. Until the next one, take care.